I always laughed at those uh, fire risk things in a tent. I'm like, what? What possibly could happen that could make this go up in a fireball? I don't understand. Until I was leading a kids' venue in New Wine. I had 700 children in a room, and it was raining, you know, one of those things. And um, rain started dripping through the tent onto our projector, which was massive, and it caught on fire. And I was like, no way! Like, it was amazing. We shut down the electrics. It was fine. We saved everyone's lives. I'm, I was a hero, essentially. Uh, but yes, it is possible to start a fire in a tent, just so you know. Um, my name is Rachel Turner. You will hear uh, the voice that is Southern California with being in the country for 15 years. So it's a bit of a mush. Um, essentially, no one thinks I have an accent except my mom. Uh, yes. So uh, I have been a, a children's pastor, a youth pastor, a family life pastor uh, for 13 years working in churches across the UK. And uh, through all of that, began to really uh, develop a passion for seeing kids connect with God, like genuinely. Uh, I began to see that there uh, was a difference uh, in creating kids who knew stuff and kids who loved God. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, the, the difference, but the difference between a God-smart kid. God-smart kids are all over the place. They're the ones who know the answers to everything, who can, like, rattle off the minor prophets in, like, order. Or, you know, you could be like, oh, yes, Isaiah was saying this. And they're like, I think that was Amos. And you're like, you're right. Sorry, sorry. Uh, they're the ones who know all the songs. You can do the Bible stories. Uh, you're like, who would like to pray? And they're like, I would. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And they sort of rattle those stuff off. God-smart kids are all over the place. They know the Bible stories. They've lived the church and they are God smart. A God connected kid is the kid who knows what the love of a Heavenly Father feels like. A God connected kid is the one who walks heart to heart with God in the everyday and knows how to process bullying because they know how to go to God and say, God, this hurts. And they can perceive God's voice back to their heart, and their heart can know the truth of God in their lives, and they can walk forward healed. A God-connected kid knows who they are because they've been told by God that they are a child of him. And so they can face the world and deal with the mess of the world because they know who they are in God. A God-connected kid knows their purpose in life. I am called by God to do these things and be powerful in this place. And I think for us as parents, we all want to raise God-connected kids, but we feel trapped into only knowing how to raise God-smart ones. And today I want to talk about how we can grow God-connected children. Because God-smart is only a small part of God's heart for children. Does that make sense? Excellent. So um, what I'm going to share with you today um, is based on a lot of experience of working with parents, working with thousands of children, working with thousands of parents over the years. It is not um, based on my parenting. Um, I've taken principles. My parenting sort of reflects the research that I've done, but uh, I am not the perfect parent. So this isn't like how to parent like Rachel Turner. This is based on the brilliance of a billion parents that I've talked to. Uh, these are sort of what we see coming out because um, I'm just one more parent trying to figure it out alongside all of you. When I began to look at supporting parents, in how to do this. As a, as a children's pastor, I really, really wanted to sort of support parents because I could get their kids to worship on a Sunday morning. 
And then I'm like, come on, parents, we need it midweek. And so in a very arrogant way when I started, I was like, I'm the children's pastor. I will sort these parents out. I know what to do. I will uh, make sure that they know what they're supposed to be doing. And very arrogantly, I, uh, I went away and God very quickly have you ever been in trouble with God? Like, you know, the sort of push you to the ground and be like, you're wrong. I had one of those encounters. And, uh, and God really changed my heart because um, there are some truths that I think um, we have, as a church, been missing. As parents, and most of the parents I worked with, I think have begun to feel like we're trapped um, in a reactive cycle of spiritual parenting. Some of us know that it's important. We know that it's important to help our kids' faith. We just don't know how to do it. And so we feel trapped into the teachable moments that arise, which is sort of like skipping rope. Do you remember skipping rope? This is a thing. I was just recording the Parenting for Faith course, and we went to a, a kid's uh, school, a kid's place that they learned, uh, called a school. And uh, we went there, and I was like, we're going to do skipping rope, because this is the analogy. And I thought, oh no, what if kids don't skip rope anymore? Like, one of this is a thing, but they do, shockingly. And I had to skip rope for the course, total side thing. I managed to do a 360 and a dab at the same time while skipping rope. I was so impressed with me. I actually got the footage to show my husband, and it was way less cool looking at it than it felt, but it felt amazing. I mean, I was like, oh, and then all the kids were like, what? I was like, I know, right? Anyways, just so you know, I still got it. But the whole analogy, we're going back, the analogy is skipping rope, sorry. And, uh, and if you remember skipping rope, having recently redone it, is you, you stand in the queue waiting to uh, to do this thing. And so the two people who are the tallest, you know, spin the rope around on the sides and you wait. And then when you get to the front, you do the jump. You have to wait for the timing. Wait for the timing. Everyone's getting impatient and you're like, back off. So you're waiting for the timing and then you, you leap in and then you do your thing, in my case, a 360 dab, and uh, you do your thing, you're fantastic, and then you have to leap out. And, uh, and then you're like, I'm amazing. And then you walk to the back, like all impressed with yourself. Unless you're a failure, in which case you come up and you leap in and it slaps you in the face or it gets you on the feet. And then everyone's like, oh, then you have to walk all the way to the back of the 12 and wait. And uh, I'm going to show you how unfit I am now by gasping because that was too much effort for me. Okay. Um, I feel sometimes as parents, we feel that way about spiritual parenting. We're like, this is important to my kid. I want my kid to be God-connected. And I don't really know how to do this, so I'm going to wait for the moment. And so we're waiting in the queue. We're waiting in the queue. Our child's life is spiraling, spiraling, and all of a sudden we can see the moment coming. Grandma's sick. We're going to have a conversation. I can feel it. And so we sort of wait and wait and wait, and finally the question arises. We prayed for healing for grandma. Why didn't God heal her? And we're like, this is it. So we leap into the fray. And we're like, yes, God can heal. And I don't know why he didn't, but we can pray about that. But you don't want to if you don't have to. And we can look at some Bible stories about healing. And again, we have read those Bible stories. But do you want to talk about it now? You don't want to talk about it now. It's fine. But you know, if you want to, you can tell God how you feel about it. Uh, but we can pray now, later. Okay, that's no, fine. And we get out. And if we have had that conversation, taken an opportunity of that moment, we're like, yes the spiritual parents. And we go to the back of the queue waiting for our next opportunity. And that can feel so powerless for us. 
because we want so much for our kids. And yet we feel like we have to wait for the little bits that pop up, the question or the the spiritual thing, and we feel like we're not getting there. And uh, when I went away with God to ask him how to make the parents do what I want them to do, uh, he took me to Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to get it on my phone. Deuteronomy 6. You know it already. Dude. My save didn't go. Deuteronomy 6. I may have to borrow one of your Bibles. No, it's good. It's fine. The Israelites were in the desert. And God was giving them the law. And God says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what struck me so much as a church worker, as someone who specializes in children's spirituality, is that it appears that God's plan for children's discipleship were all the places that I had no access. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I don't get to wake up your children in the morning or put them to sleep or walk with them as they go to gymnastics. God seems to have designed children's discipleship to happen in the ordinary, boring bits of life. I believe because that's where he is most. He is in the ordinary, everyday bits of life. That's where he is. That's where he's walking alongside of us. That's where he's comforting us. That's where he's laughing with us. That's where he's living his truth, is with us in the everyday ordinary. The church can't be the center of children's discipleship because we only get them for 50 hours a year if they show up every Sunday, which they don't. You get them, as parents, between 2,000 and 3,000 hours a year. And we all go, where? Uh, It's when you're making lunch. And it's in that half hour when they get up and everyone isn't really talking because everyone's just in their underwear staring at a wall. And it's when you're waiting for your other kid to get out of their lesson. And it's, it's when you're grocery shopping and just trying to not die in a shop with your screaming two-year-old. It's all of those hours because actually God is so present in those hours and he is so real in those hours that if we as parents can figure out how to help our kids see God in the ordinary every day, that is where their God-connectedness comes. And what I find so useful about this is if it's supposed to happen in the ordinary everyday bits of life, then God designed it to happen in our parenting, which means God designed it to happen in the way that we parent. Because he gets 
that we are tired, haven't slept in four years, uh, can't really think, and uh, are just happy to survive the day. He gets that that is what our parenting life looks like. And so for me, he's designed it so that when we have half a brain are tired and are juggling four children, we can still do it well. And we can still give our kids what God wants them to have for their lives. And we can help them be God-connected in those moments. And I just want to give you some tools this morning on what that looks like. Is that what you're here for? Okay. So. A long time ago, I uh, worked for a a very long time ago. I worked for a church in Southern California. Um, It was my first job. I was assistant youth secretary. Oh, the power when I was 19. And uh, loved it. And it was my only job in a church in America. Everything else has been in the UK. And, uh, and our senior pastor was the most amazing man you've ever met in your life. There was, his name was Jim Bradford. And there was Jesus and Jim Bradford. And they were so close. And you could barely tell them apart because he was amazing. And Jim Bradford um, was, this, was this little man who just radiated God. And he would walk around. And there was maybe, oh, I want to say 50 people on staff. And so um, he would walk down the road and be like, hello, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? And uh, he would read our name tag. So I'd be like at a t- desk with my name. And he'd be like, hello, Rachel. And I'd be like, ah, Jim Bradford knows my name, sort of. He read my name. And I loved it. He was amazing. And I'd have lunch with Jim Bradford. I mean, he'd be like over there with the senior leadership. And I'd be over here with the secretaries. But like, if I ignored everyone and listened really hard, I could listen to the jokes and be like, ah, ha, 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 laugh along uh, with that group. Uh, I was part of his crowd. I don't know if you've ever been part of someone's crowd, but you love being part of someone's crowd. Like, it's really safe. Um, Jim Bradford prayed for me once um, after a church service. So it was like one of 150 people, but like, I felt a connection. And it was great. I was part of his crowd. You know, he told stories about his family and his sermons. And it was like, that's so Jim. Like, I just loved it. And uh, I was part of his crowd for about five years. He was my senior leader, and I loved it. And uh, we went away on a retreat, a staff retreat, Palm Springs Resort. Yeah. And uh, I want to work for a church in Southern California again. And uh, it was great. And three days of like jacuzzis, golfing, and vision. And uh, on the last day, we, the secretaries were like, we'll go for last dip in the 14 pools. And so as we, as we came out, um, my friends thought it would be funny to leave me in the lobby in the lift. So I had one of those like robes that didn't cover. So I like tuck in towels every place else to like dry. And they were like, ha, and they left me. And I look over and there's the senior leadership team. And Jim Bradford. And, and all the senior leadership team were like, I'll go load in the van. So it was Jim Bradford like protecting everybody's suitcases. I don't know what they thought would happen. Um, he'd go all ninja on somebody. Um, but he looks over. And I think I must have looked in distress or something. So he sort of wandered over like, you okay? But as he began to come over, I panicked. Because in that moment, I realized I had been part of his crowd for five years, never had a conversation with the man absolutely panicked. It was like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? Do I introduce myself? Do I not introduce myself? Do I be like, um, hello, or, you know, so, transubstantiation. I mean, like, I don't know what I do in this moment. And uh, so this is my question. Should I think of a God question? Should I try to look casual? And so he's coming. My heart's like thumping a million miles an hour. This is my moment with Jim Bradford. And, uh, and I managed to say, I've been swimming. <laughs> and he goes, I can see that. And then, ding! the lift went and I'm like ah. <laughs> I sort of went away and that was the only moment I've ever had with Jim Bradford uh, and it was so shocking to me how exposed I felt 
with someone I had felt so comfortable with in a crowd. And I promise there's a point to the story. Uh, for me, I think many of our children feel that about God. Because we do most things together, if you think about it. We pray together, we read the Bible together, we go to church together, we go on mission together. We do most things together. And then we look them in the face and say, and now you can have a one-to-one relationship with the God of the universe who can crush you or lift you up in a moment. Good luck with that. And then we leave them alone. And they're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I'm very comfortable as part of God's crowd, but what, 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 what do I do? What do I do? What do I say? What do I do? So if you've ever had kids who pray and they're like, dear G, you do it. And they bail. That's because they're like exposed. Like everyone left them in front and they're like, no, 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 no. Give me the comfort of the crowd. Our call as parents is to help our kids learn how to walk an individual relationship with God. Because whenever I get hit by a bus, one day we are not going to be there. And the only person that is going to be standing alongside them for an entire lifetime of joy and pain is the God of the universe. And the best thing we can give them is knowing how to walk in connection with him in the ordinary every day. And so what we do as parents is, is often feel like we need to do church at home if we think we want to do faith, right? What can we do together? Should we read the Bible together? And we instantly go for the together bits. And I would encourage you that one of the most powerful things you can do is actually train them in the individual rather than the corporate. I'm not saying the corporate isn't important, but I'm saying there's a skills that you can give them at home that is so significant. Because the thing that they're missing is what it looks like in the everyday. What does it actually look like to go grocery shopping with God? What does it actually look like for you to feel confused with God? They often don't get that. They get us wanting to show them what perfect Christianity looks like. When I'm reading my Bible, it looks like this. When I'm feeling great with God, it looks like this. And then we feel like we want to hide the bits that aren't so perfect Christianity. When I'm feeling dry and haven't talked to God in three weeks, let's just not. And so we only give them this happy skippy, this is what life with God is amazing all the time. I love worshiping God nonstop, always. And actually, that's not the reality of our walk. And if we set them up to say, this is the reality of everyone's walk, when they hit their first bump when they're eight, they're going to think, I don't see my experience reflected anywhere. I must be something wrong with me, or there must be something wrong with Christianity. And our goal is to show them what the reality of life looks like. How do you walk alongside God when you're mad? How do you walk alongside God when you have a miscarriage? How do you walk alongside God when he hasn't healed your mom yet? How do you walk alongside God when you have the biggest joy of your life and you go out and just dance with God? What does it actually look like for you? And this is the power of it. Instead of trying to figure out what Christianity should look like, you're creating a window into what it looks like for you. Because your walk is powerful. As imperfect as it is, it is powerful in the life of your kid. It's what they need. There are so many times that we, that we feel like we only want them to see the perfect bits. And actually, that's not even how we parent most everything else. It's like creating the tip of an iceberg. You know, that classic... 10% of an iceberg is above water, 90% is below. We do that with our relationships all the time, with our friendships. They see the tip of the iceberg of our friendships. So they see, when I'm upset, I call Jill. And then I talk at Jill for hours 
hours. And then I come out like, I'm so happy I called Jill. She really helped me. And they see that. They see like, I have extra money and a night off. I'm going out with the girls. Uh, They see that when I'm excited, I want to go be with them. They see the impacts that they have on our lives. They see the impact of our friendships. So they don't see the entirety of our friendships, but they see enough to know how significant friendships are in our lives. We do that with our spouses. If you have a partner, um, they see that too. They see how we talk about them when behind their backs. They see how we need them, how we treat them, how we're blessed by them, how they help us. And they don't see everything. We're not like, look at my marriage and all of its nitty-grittiness. Look at it. We're just saying you see a little bit of it, and there's so much more. And they go, I want that when I grow up. I want that. We show them the tip of the iceberg for most everything except our relationship with God. So what they get, if you are lucky enough to get to do quiet times, when I was a parent of another five, I never did a quiet time, ever. I was just lucky to be awake. And so uh, I never did. But if you're one of those parents who have managed to do that, this is what they see. I'm going to have my time with God. Get your shoes on. That's what they get. They have no idea what happens in that room. No idea. You could be body painting with Jesus. He could have come down and been having tea with you. You could be skipping around in circles. They don't know. They have no idea what an individual face-to-face relationship with God is because we've locked the doors on them. We haven't showed them what the tip of the iceberg looks like for you. So what we need to do is create windows. I don't know if you've ever seen a series of houses that have um, or terraced houses that all have like the same footprint. I used to live in one of those, and I loved looking in the windows because I'm like, oh, look. Like my husband's horrified, um, but hey, he married an American, so it's his fault. And so I'm walking down. I'm, I love. I'm like, oh, look at that. Look, they did the the couch configuration so different. They knocked the wall through. We should knock the wall through, you know. And so you were looking through, and you're thinking, look how differently everyone did their house. Same outside, totally different inside. And when I look in, I want it. I want to do that. And creating windows allows our children to see into a bit of our life and go, I want that for me. I want to be able to rant at God when I'm upset. I want to be able to sit with God and cry when I'm feeling sad. I want that. And when we show them what an authentic relationship looks like, they can learn how to apply it to themselves. So I would suggest you create windows into key things in your life. Whatever is important to you in your faith, in your journey, create a window into it. Um, there, was one, um, there was one dad, my dad used to um, was a cop, and he used to... He used to read his Bible, uh, and he would leave his Bible out. And, uh, and he used to write notes. And me, being a very nosy teenager, would be like, what is he reading? So I'd come over, and I'd read, and I'd see his notes. And I developed a love of Scripture because I not only saw my dad reading it, but I got to see his notes and what he was doing. And I was like, that is really amazing. There was a mom that I, that I was working with who, um, whenever she'd get really upset, she would just want to connect with God. And so she would go... Oh, Jesus, I need your heart. And she would just do that repeatedly. Oh, Jesus, not like in a row, but just like, Oh, Jesus, I need your heart when, when she was around her kids or something. And then she would just sit there, and then she would just like find her peace. She and God would just meet. And then she'd be like, Okay, let's play. And uh, I was around her nine-year-old, and at some point her nine-year-old was getting angry at somebody in kids' group, and she was like, You were God. I am so mad. You give me back. Oh, Jesus, I need your heart. <sighs> <laughs> and I was like, What? And she t- 
she totally found her peace and she's like you know what I'm getting upset with you and I bet you're really feeling upset too and I'm sorry for it and I hurt and I was like what just happened to this child and so I was telling her mom this and her mom's like oh I do that and I was like well you have given your kid something amazing she just met with Jesus and changed her heart in a moment just because she let it come out of her mouth so that instead of just going (sighs) she went oh Jesus I need your heart and her kid all of a sudden saw oh this is what's happening with my mom whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's worshiping. I knew some, some people, some dads who like love playing music at home and then we'll do the sort of singing thing like working on something and then all of a sudden it's like being thrown upon the praises of a thousand generations. Oh, we should have pasta for dinner. And, but that moment where the dad worships genuinely in front of his kid for a moment meant that that kid starts playing worship in his room. And this kid, who eventually joined our worship team, um, he told us um, it was because he used to see his dad worshiping while he was doing DIY. And he discovered a love of worshiping because he could see how much it meant to his dad in those moments. This isn't figure out a strategy of everything your kid needs to see so they can do it. This is let your kids see a window into your genuine walk with God every day. Even if you're like, I haven't read my Bible in two weeks, saying, you know what, buddy? I am so tired and I feel like I've been a bit snippy and I've been not very wise with my words and I think that's because I just haven't sat with God for a bit and just rested. And whenever I sit with God and rest, I just feel peaceful and I haven't done that in a couple of weeks and I'm sorry if that means my heart hasn't been full enough and it means I've been a bit not very good. I apologize. I just need some time with God, I think. Giving that window for your kid is just as powerful as doing it the way you think you should. So whatever it looks like for you, create a window into it. And if your kid is struggling in something specific, create a window into it for you. If your kid's struggling with bullies, tell your stories of when you you have somebody at work who is pushing your buttons. And you say, when that happens to me, sometimes I just go to the toilet and like just at God for like 30 seconds. Or I just repeat a Bible verse in my head or whatever it is, however you cope with it. Give a window into how you're doing it in your current life. Not just when you were their age, but what's happening to you now to let them have an insight into how to do their life. Does that make sense? Create windows. I could tell create window stories forever, but I didn't do anything. Um, The second thing is um, verbal framing. When uh, we, our children are tiny, we do this all the time. It is like the bane of every parent's existence is essentially showing your children what they're looking at. Oh, yes, look, there are trees. Trees have leaves. Leaves, yes, leaves drop trees. That's okay. The tree's not dying. That's a natural cycle of life. Um, yes, leaves are on the ground. Yes, dogs poop on the ground. No, 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 we don't poop on the ground. Dogs poop on the You poop in the potty because you're doing a great job. And then you're just like at the end of this. But you're constantly explaining things to your kids constantly constantly and then god gives them this wonderful tool of why and then you're explaining more stuff and it's just non-stop you're explaining it to them whether or not they're asking you're saying this is what you're looking at this is how we engage with it this is a road cars go past really fast our bodies will explode if we walk into there so we need to look yes we look both ways both ways and we reinforce it all the time we're framing for them when you see a road this is what i want you to see when you see your friends this is what i want you to see and we constantly frame for them all the time what the world looks like and the one of the wonderful things we can give our children is that for the spiritual life of the world what does it look like when someone's very very angry actually what's happening in their heart is they're scared and god sent us 
God says that perfect love casts out all fear. So if you see someone really angry, it's probably because they're afraid or worried. And so what we need to look at is how can we bring God's love into the situation? When we're at church and people are doing weird Christian things like group karaoke, um, that's what kids see. We come, we sing at a screen. That's karaoke. Uh, Unless we say what's happening right now is I am letting my heart talk to God's heart and music really helps me do that. And so sometimes I just close my eyes and I let the music happen and I just let my heart sing. Sometimes I just listen to the words and I say, yes, God, I mean that. Yes, God, I mean that. And what happens in worship is God comes close too. So that's what I'm going to do right now. Do you want to do that too? And all of a sudden they learn to see this is where God, this is, where God is in this circumstance. This is where God is in this circumstance. When the London happened and when Manchester happened, sitting with our kids and saying, this is where God is in this scenario. This is where God's heart is in this scenario. This is how it fits in with the story of the Bible and the gospel. So that they learn to see life as a series of connections with God. And we begin to see this is where God is in pain. This is where God is in joy. This is where God is in the mix. This is where God is, and this is how I can engage with him. And it explain, 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 explain. Does that make sense? And you don't have to have the right answer all the time. You can just say, you know what? I am not 100% convinced I know what God's doing right there. But I know wise people who do. <laughs> Let's find out together. And we can hunt them down. The, the joy of what this is, is you're saying that it's okay to be imperfect. And it's okay to be still figuring it out. Because that's what a life with God is. I feel like there's a big pressure Um, And I always say this, I don't want parents to pass on their faith to their children because I think that makes a huge pressure on us to have a faith that we want to pass on to our children. Like, I, I don't think I'm good enough to be like, now this is what I want you to have. I want my kid to have way better than what I have. And when we say pass on our faith, we think, okay, well, I'm not reading my Bible every day and I'm not sure I'm like living mission as well as I could. And so we get this pressure of it doesn't look like me and my kid yet and I'm trying to like pass on the best bits. And for me, that's not what it is. You are on your own journey of a life with God and your child is on their journey of a life with God. And what you do is you journey side by side. And you can be like, I've been on this path before. This is when you have to jump. Because if you don't jump, you're going to get stuck there. But, you know, feel free. This is how I jump. Uh, And they're going to fall. And you're going to be like, that was an awesome attempt. Just stand up. Let's dust you off. And you keep going. But when we see it, it's their journey with God. Then we get less worried when it's not looking like the way we want it to. So when our kid all of a sudden is saying, I hate God, or something, we can absolutely panic because we're like, I'm not doing a good job of passing on my faith. When actually, they're going through a season that something is happening in their connection. You can say, you know what? Sometimes you feel disconnected from God, and that's okay. Tell me why you're feeling disconnected, and let me know how I can help you reconnect. What's going on in your head? This is when I felt disconnected and how. When we trust that they're on a journey with God, that God is leading them on, then we're just the co-journeyers with them as opposed to the sole responsible people to make this happen. That's not what it is. We're called to walk alongside with honesty and openness and help them navigate their path so they know what it looks like for us and they know what it looks like for them so they can negotiate it all and take step by step. I have so much more I could teach you. I feel like we're reaching a brain barrier. So... Do you have questions? Do you just want to think? 
Do you want to discuss? What do you need right now to process what's going on? My sense would be there have some people who have the but, the but what if questions. Does anyone have a question? It's okay if you don't. All right. Well then, I'm going to give us a one-minute comfort break where you can stand up. I mean, you won't be able to wee, but you know, you know, feel free to stand up and stretch. And I just want to give us a space. And then what I want to do is give us a bit more detailed skills in this um, so that you feel like you really know how to do this, okay? So take a one-minute stretch, shake it off. All right, you done stretching? Fine. I like how none of you moved to the splash zone at the front. Interesting. Um, what I wanted to do is give us a starting point. Because the essence of parenting for faith is this. All you need to do is ask yourself the question, what is the next step for my child spiritually and how can I help them take it? So often we feel like we have to do everything, buy the Bibles, do the bedtimes, or just what is the next step for my child spiritually and how can I help them take it? And so right now, I'm going to ask you to grab a piece of paper. If you don't have a piece of paper, look at a stranger and be like, can I have one of your pieces of paper? And um, I want us to write down two things because I think we rarely as parents go, you know what, I have a spare hour to think about my child's spiritual development. So I'm going to give us some time here to actually do that. Uh, so if you can grab a piece of paper and a pen from someone who probably has a bag. Uh, you could also ask for a mint if you want to. I mean, people have all sorts of stuff in their bags. Uh, and if you just, are you just a thinker and you're like, don't tell me what to do, fine. You be, you be rebellious, you own your space. Uh, so what I want us to do, really, is write down, in 10 years' time, if you have 15 children, do bullet points, but... In, in 10 years' time, for each of your children, what do you want their spiritual lives to look like? So if you don't even have a baby yet, think in, as a 10-year-old, this is what I want for them. This is what I think this child, my particular kid, alive in God looks like. That's what I would dream for them to be. If you're like 10 years is too far away, picture five. For each of your kids, just write, this is what I want them to be. Because each of our kids are different. Some kids will need more purposefulness. Some kids will just need more love. But what do you? what is your dream for your kid? And if you're a child in this room, you can think about what would you like your life with God to look like in one year? You can think about the specific weaknesses or fears your kids have. You can think about the dreams they have, the uniqueness of your kid, what do you want their life with God to look like? And if you've done that, then underneath that, I want you to ask yourself the question, where is my kid spiritually now? And for some of us, we're like, oh, no, we're not sure. That's totally okay. But just, just take a moment to think, where is my kid spiritually now? What, what does their connection with God look like now? No answer is a bad answer. It's just your answer. Because once we know where they are now, then we can think what the next step is. And it could be the next step is find out where my kid is spiritually. And if you're a kid in this room, think about 
on a scale of one to 10, where is my connection with God? 10 being the best connection ever and one being not very much. And then you can share that with whoever you're with. And with those two things, you can go from this place and spend some time with God and be like, okay, God, this is where I feel like our heart, yours and my heart for my kid is in 10 years' time. This is where I think my kid is now. What is the next step? Because Jesus said he only did what he saw his father doing. And I want to say that Father God is discipling your child and he is connecting with your child and he is talking to your children and he has plans and purposes for them. And so he is already moving in the life of your children. And one of the biggest things that we can do is say, okay, God, what are you working on in my kid and how can I help? How can I create space for you? We often feel this pressure of being the person. And a long time ago, back in the Israelite days, when they had the temple and God lived in his holy, holy, holy place. And back then, regular people didn't get to talk to God or hang out with God. And so there was this high priest, and the high priest was the one who went between the people and God. He'd come out to the people, be like, God said this. He would be like, okay. And then he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go with like atone for all of our sins. And they're like, go for it. And then one day, once a year, he was allowed into the presence of the living God. And he was the go-between. He was the person who did that. And when Jesus came and died, the veil was torn and we no longer needed a high priest between us and God. But so often, we as parents put ourselves in that place. We feel like we need to interpret God and be in there in the middle of their relationships. Um, Like with their friendships, we spend a lot of time going, right, kid, 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 go. Try not to kill each other. And then we sort of watch from afar and then like interfere if it's going really badly. We don't go, hi, everybody. You're 12, you're 12 and me. Let's have a good sleepover. Uh, We don't insert ourselves into that relationship because we want them to be able to have their own. But so often spiritually, we plonk ourselves in the middle of our kids' relationship with God and feel like that's what they need. And actually, there's a lot of pressure to be our kid's high priest. And it's not something that's needed. God himself can talk to your kid. Your kid can talk to God. He created their brains. He knows how they best work, think. Our job is to coach them in their relationship. We can help our kid know how to catch God's voice. We can create space for them to interact. But we've got to get ourselves out of the high priest role. Because I think in that high priest role is a lot of guilt and pressure and shame if we're not doing it right. If our kid doesn't have a great relationship with God, we're like, it's because I failed. I'm the high priest. I've got to make this work. Our job is to help our kids on their journey with God. And we can create space, we can coach, we can bring them alongside, we can help them know how to connect, but we've got to get out of the middle of it. And that is very freeing, very freeing for us. One of the best ways I found to start this besides creating windows and verbal framing, is to begin to ask questions. Because I find often we're like, well, what do I do? I want give me something to do. What you need to do, create windows, verbally frame, but also just start asking questions that don't have right answers. I find this really helpful because Christian kids are really good at the performing. Ding! Uh, and so we're like, so ask any question about Christianity. And they go, Jesus... And you're like, that's the correct answer. Uh, but that doesn't help me know where you are or talk. And there's something about giving permission to wonder together that is very, very powerful. One, it helps you find out where your kid is spiritually. But two, it means that 
that it repositions you both to be side by side. So start asking questions that don't have right answers just to begin to train in your kids that it's okay to have a spiritual conversation without having to absolutely land it in the right answer every time. And so ask like their God created uh, the earth and on the seventh day in scripture it says that he rested. I think that shows me something very interesting about God. So when I rest, I binge watch West Wing. When uh, my husband rests, he goes hiking out in the hills. What did God do? I don't know. There's no right answer, but it's a really interesting conversation. Uh, talk about who do you, do you think, one, do you think Jesus fancied anybody in high school? Do you think it's possible? And uh, if so, who do you think he fancied? Interesting question. I don't know if this is doable or not, but it's really interesting. Uh, and, uh, or who do you think he was most like in your school? Like, was he a jock? Was he like a techie guy? I don't know. Just talk about God. Laugh together. Delight in talking about who God is and who Jesus is because it begins to show your kids that it's okay to wonder. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to think. It's okay to debate. It's okay to say, well, I don't know if we are supposed to be vegetarians because in Genesis it said we might too. And you can be like, no, 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 no. And they can begin to understand that who God is in your life and who God is in scripture is a real person that you can wonder about, think about, ask questions to. And if there's no boundaries on that, then there's no boundaries on what they can talk to God about. That's a whole other seminar is praying with kids. But um, when we free kids from needing to do everything right, they begin to ask God the questions that they want to know. Like the amount of times that I've seen kids ask God what his favorite color is. Because we tell kids, you can get to know God, and they want to get to know him the way it looks like for them. That's one thing I would really say is, their relationship with God is going to look similarly to their relationship with their friends. So sometimes we have this sort of expectation of a five-year-old to sit and like have a deep and powerful conversation for the next 20 minutes. They don't have a deep and powerful conversation with anybody, unless it's jokes. Uh, and so if we think, what does a three-year-old do? A three-year-old parallel plays with other kids. So that's what I expect them to do with God. So I say, oh, are you and God going to play Lego? Right, off you go. Go play Lego with God. Yep, have a good time. I'll come back and check on you and God in a little bit with some snacks. And uh, I'll let my kid play with God for a while because that's what three-year-olds do. They parallel play. So I tell them, you're parallel playing with God. Enjoy. And uh, the amount of times parents have done that and come back in to find their child essentially praying for the last half hour while they just talk to God about everything that's going on in their life because God's there. Does that make sense? We're just verbally framing, this is the reality of God for you. And we expect only what a helpful, wonderful life with God looks like for them at their age. It's okay to talk to God about underwear and Spider-Man. Because that's what's interesting right now. Because if they talk about God, about underwear and Spider-Man, they're going to talk to God about social media bullying, and they're going to talk to God about parental breakups, and they're going to talk to God about everything. But if we create a window into our lives that say, I talk to God about all this stuff. I talk to God on the toilet. I talk to God in the shower. As soon as you tell kids that, they'll start talking to God on the toilet and they'll start talking to God on the shower. You create a window and you give them permission. And that's what we want. Kids, a life with God, side by side in the ordinary every day. I'm looking at my time. We have about 10 minutes left. Are there any burning questions you have? Anything that you're thinking, I really came for an answer for this? Or I totally disagree and think you're heretical on that? Um, which I'm up for. 
comments, c concerns, ponderings? Yes. Excellent question. So as a fairly new, sorry? Yes. As a fairly new Christian, um, who is still, well, first of all, I have to say, we're all still figuring out theology. So you're not alone. Uh, so as a fairly new Christian who's, who's figuring out theology, and your kid asks a question that you're like, I do not have a theological framework for that. What do you do? Because there's a lot of pressure. Um, first of all, raise your hand if your kid has ever asked you a question that you do not have a theological framework for. Yeah, you're not alone. Uh, I come up with a formula for answering questions because I feel like otherwise we just bail to I don't know all the time. And so for me, the main thing to do is this. What, well, first of all, I always ask them, what do you think? Because like half the time, they're just asking because it was random or they actually have an idea. And so sometimes they'll ask a question and they actually want to talk about something. So I'll say, well, what do you think? And they have no idea, fine. Uh, so the second thing is what do we know? So what do you know could be absolutely nothing. So you can say, you know what? I don't know anything about that topic. That is a really interesting question. Or you can say, you know, the only thing I can think of is this one story in the Bible that I heard someone preach about a couple of weeks ago. And that, that helps me understand that. But I don't think that's the full answer. But you tell them what you know because, because that says there is an answer. I just don't know it yet because I'm still learning. Um, then you say what you don't know. So you can say, well, then what I don't know I, I do know that, for instance, if the question is, why do people get cancer? You can be like, first of all, what do you think? Uh, second of all, uh, well, I genuinely don't know. I do know that I don't think God goes around giving people cancer. So I, I do know that. I don't think that that's what God does. I, I firmly believe God is a God of health and goodness. and So I don't think that's it. What I don't know is why he allows all of those things and, and, and why it happens so this is how I deal with it. And so you say, what do you think? What do you know? What do you not know? And then you give them a framework for how you cope with that. Because that's a question that you've probably thought of too. And you can say, well, you know what? When I have questions like this, I actually go to God and say, God, I'm really confused. I don't know. Or I go find a book and I read it. Or actually I talk to my friend Sue because she's smarter than I am in all these things. So I'll tell you what. That's a good question. Let's write it down on a post-it note. I'll put it on my wallet, and we'll go ask Sue next time we see her. Ha <laughs> ha! And then next time you see Sue, you pull it out and be like, we had a question. And together, because what you then do is instead of saying, this is the absolute answer, you're saying, I'm a person who's still learning, and this is my process. Let's do it together. And so what you're training in your kid is that you're always going to have questions you don't know the answers to, but there's a process of finding it out. Is that that's your question. And then as you grow, you'll be like, I'm a genius. I know this one. Nailed it. Uh, and then you can feel like, hmm, that's great. But when, when, you, when you walk through those steps, you're creating a window, you're giving them more theology, and you're pointing them to help, which is what the community is for. Any other questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, ponderings? Yes. Yes. Sure. So when they're kids and they're open, you feel like that's easy. But as they get to teenagers and you feel like they're more closed or if they choose to walk away, how do we still parent for faith? Um, good question. Uh, I know lots of children, too, who are just like, nope. Uh, 
what we have found, and, and as a youth pastor, I worked with a lot of parents um, through a lot of these situations. What we have found is, one, teenagers are watching. And um, statistics show that parents are still the most significant influencers of them, even through their teenage life. And so I think I find sometimes we feel so powerless as parents of teenagers, but actually parents are still incredibly significant. Um, what happens is there, there becomes a power dynamic with teenagers. And so one thing that we can do actually for kids who are, who are less open to having conversations is to live your life out actually more openly because vulnerability is very intriguing to teenagers. Uh, and so um, to allow them to they tend to kick back when you try to force them to do something, which is why the corporate thing doesn't work. But um, cooking while praying out loud and telling God how much you love your kid. And so I know some parents who've been like, this is my time with God. If you don't want to hear my time with God, off you go. And so they're, oh God, I love my kid and my kid's wonderful. And I pray that you just give them strength and power. And I love her heart, God. And they're just talking to God. And so kids are like, I don't ever want to hear you pray. And it's like, that's absolutely fine. But I pray for you at this time every day. If you ever wanted me to pray for you, you can just let me know. And they're like, fine. And so I've known many teenagers who are like, I hate God, but who will also be like, and if you're praying, then you might as well mention about how much I want a boyfriend. And then they'll walk away. And then they hear their mom going, oh, God, give her a man that loves her and respects her. And, you know, this kid's like, my mom prays for my boyfriend all the time. It's amazing. And, and so there's, some, there's something about being like, I can't control you, but I can control me. And my life with God is this. And I love this because I'm not making you do anything. I'm not making you do a darn thing. What I am doing is living my life with God and, and to to do that. Also telling stories, very vulnerable stories. Teenagers are going through a period where they're like, ha, you're not perfect. Uh, and so to leap on that, ha, I'm not perfect, with stories of, yeah, I totally am not perfect. And I remember this one time I messed up and I, I think without God, I don't think I would have survived. And to tell stories of your imperfectness with God is actually very powerful for teenagers. Um, because instead of saying, this is what you do, you can be like, this is, this is who God was for me. And, and it's stopping making that connection for them that becomes very powerful in teenagers. I trust that your brain works, so I'm just going to be me and let you do that. I also know some parents with teenagers who say, your connection with God is really important to me, and I don't want to control it, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this 20 on the fridge. And uh, feel free, if you ever want to buy a worship CD, a book, if you want to go to a conference, I will pay for it. And you just pop that receipt right there, and uh, so that I know you're spending it on, you know, actual God stuff. Uh, but I will, I will resource your walk with God, but it needs to look like your walk with God. And so I know some parents who are like, you tell me what you need, and I will help you do that. Um, and then also it's finding other people to relate to your kid. Um, I remember as a youth pastor, and dad came to me and was like, my kid's into porn, I need you to talk to him. And I'm like, do I have permission to talk to your kid about this? And he's like, yes. And he just sort of was like, here, take him for the weekend. Wah! And he threw this kid in my house for a weekend, me and my husband. <laughs> and we were crying and pain. But th this dad got proactive and was like, I need someone to talk to my kid. And that's, that's part of the body of Christ. Is sometimes we hope that somebody will invest in our kid. And sometimes we go, right, my kid needs a powerful person who has walked this before, and so I'm going to talk to you, and I will pay for every anything, or please, please, please invest in my kid. And it's, it's being the person who says, please, I will step back, but I need somebody to step in. Um, and then it's just praying like you never prayed before. But there are so many, so many stories. I think it's the trust, as we pray, it's the trusting that no matter how far they're walking, God is walking with them. And I think... Um, I've worked with so many parents who have had their children 
um, where they feel walk away from God, but you can't walk away from God because he chases them. And so there's something of trusting that, that they are on a journey with God, not because they're choosing it, but because God's choosing them. And I think there's something in praying that, that while they're making choices, God is with them and touching to them and poking them and talking to them. Um, there's also something, personally, my kid was deaf for a significant amount of time. And there were so many times where my kid, I was like, I do not know what is going on in your body. I don't, I don't understand. You're deaf. You can't communicate yet. I don't know what's happening. And so I would ask God. I was like, God, I need words of knowledge. I literally need you to interpret my child for me right now. And there were so many times where he would be like, he wants something on the shelf. And I'm like, the thing on the shelf? And my kid's like, yes. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And um, I find with, we found working with parents that sometimes actually saying, God, I need you to tell me what to do right now. My kid has just kicked over a chair and walked out. I need to know, is this a chase the child moment? Is this a discipline moment? Is this a leave it moment? I don't know. And, and as, as parents of teenagers, to know that God exactly knows what your kid needs and to begin to say, okay, I, I need the partner who actually knows what's happening in the crazy messed up hormonal brain that is happening right now. Uh, I need the interpretation and just knowing that God the Father is walking with you and with them and he can interpret. It's, it's not a tidy answer, but it's a... Um, right. Um, I just wanted to share before we go, um, we have been working on some resources for you. Um, I'm going to say it out loud for the first time. It's been a year in coming. www.parentingforfaith.org is live. Um, we, it's a project that is a constantly growing database of stories, essentially. So we find that um, there's no such thing as experts in parenting for faith. We're all just people figuring it out. Um, and so the most powerful thing is to hear other people's stories. And so what we've started doing is traveling around the country, recording people's stories of what they do to help their kids connect with God. We're putting them on the website. We also have two-minute training videos that are just like, so you watch Moana with your kid. You ever notice this massive God bit that you can have a conversation with them about? Or how to help your kids settle when they're freaked out about the darkness. And so this is going to be, we're putting up, I think I want to say over 10 videos a month, every month. We're just going to be constantly adding to this database of, of stories. Right now we have over 120, 135 stories and tips on there. We also have a free Parenting for Faith course that we've recorded that's on there. You can run it as a group. You can just get it uh, as well. And... Um, yeah, there's loads on there, but go on the website and you'll see loads of stuff. And it's just a place for you to be able to type in. It's like YouTube for Christian parenting is the goal. You should be able to type in cancer and up will pop people who are dealing with cancer and how they told their kids about cancer and how they're theologically talking about it. So it's it's searchable database that will constantly be growing. And uh, we need your stories as well. But um, link in, be a part, share your imperfect stories because that's how we learn from hearing each other's perfect stories because together... We want to see a generation raised. So can I pray for you? And then I'll hand over to Carolyn. Uh, www. Sorry, I know. Everyone tells me you don't have to say that anymore because it's uncool. I'm sorry. Parentingforfaith.org. Uh, just normal words, not with a four, because I'm not that cool. Parentingforfaith.org. God, I thank you. I thank you for these parents and these aunts and uncles, these godparents, these grandparents. I thank you that out of all the people in the world you could have picked, you put us in the life of these precious kids. And I thank you that it's never too late to start. I thank you for the, for the massive changes we've seen in teenagers and the massive changes we've seen in 20-year-olds and the massive changes we've seen in babies, Lord, when parents rise up into the role that they've been called. I thank you that we don't have to be perfect. We can just be us. 
I thank you that you walk with us. And God, I pray that you would speak wisdom into the hearts of these parents, that you would give them spiritual eyes, that they may see where their kid is now, see what you're doing in their life, and help them take the next step in connection with you. I pray that you would remove all guilt and shame and pressure. God, I believe parenting for faith is one of the greatest joys that God has given us. The first time you see your kid connect with God, the first time you see your kid seek his heart, the first time you see God heal a brokenness, it's one of the greatest joys of parenting. And God, I pray that you would restore that fully to these parents, that they may see their children flourish in connection with God. And I pray for all the kids present. God, I thank you that you are talking to them already, that you are shaping them to be more and more like you. And God, I pray that you would open their ears and their heart that they may be lifelong connected to you in deep and powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen.